Father in heaven, we come before you and we ask, Lord, that you might teach us from your word. God, as we look at this sacred text you have preserved for us and passed down for generations, that Holy Spirit, you might move in spite of a foolish and frail and silly preacher. God, that you might teach us from your word. Lord, that you might encourage us. Father, that you might convict us. That you would challenge us and motivate us. That we might live for you. That we might strive daily to be more like you. Father, that we might be reminded that there is salvation in you and in you alone, Lord Jesus. God, would you please move through the reading, the teaching, the proclamation of your holy word. We ask this now in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible with you this morning, I invite you to take it and turn with me once again to the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians will be in chapter 4. If you don't happen to have a Bible with you this morning, feel free to borrow one from the back of the pew in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, then feel free to take that Bible from the back of the pew there as your own personal copy, as a gift from us to you. I promise we've got more. We'll put them in there, but that'll just be a gift from us to you. Or if you'd prefer, you can look on your phone or tablet or on the screens. Regardless of if you have a printed or digital copy, I would ask if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's holy word? So we look together now at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. We'll read verses 13 through 18. I'll read for us, and when I've completed, I'll say, This is the word of the Lord. I encourage you to respond if you are genuinely grateful. With the words, thanks be to God. Let's look together now at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. The word of the Lord says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus... God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are left alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We talked about last week how in chapter 4, Paul makes this shift. He, He begins his application portion of the letter, and that's a very normal 
formula for Paul to follow as he is writing. If you read the book of Romans, you read the first 11 chapters, and it's all very thick, very dense doctrine. The same thing is true in 1 Thessalonians. We read in the first three chapters his appreciation for the people in Thessalonica, the trials and the afflictions that they have gone through. And then in light of all of these things, he begins chapter 4, Finally then, brothers... Therefore, or in light of this, now about the following, with special emphasis, he begins for chapter, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, introducing the rest of the book. We're going to get into chapter 5, and it's just popcorn. It's just pray without ceasing. Don't quench the spirit. Boom, 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 over and over and over. So Paul moves into very practical, helpful steps things that we need to know that are applicable to our lives. But we have to look at chapter 4 kind of as a whole. In various sections, he's going to say for verses 3 through 8, now concerning sexual, sexual morality, sexual immorality. And then he uses now about love for others in verses 9 through 12. And then about those who fall asleep in what we read this morning. And then about times and dates, concerning times and and dates. So the very first chunk of chapter 4 deals with what it means to be holy and what it means to be pure. He describes that God has reserved intimacy for a husband and a wife. That if intimacy is practiced on your own in front of a magazine or a computer screen, it is immoral. If it is practiced before marriage, it is immoral. If it is practiced while you are married to someone else and you are practicing intimacy with someone who is not your spouse, that is immoral and holiness matters. If it is between one man and another man or one woman and another woman, that is immoral and Purity matters. Holiness matters. But he uses that one Greek word. He doesn't place one form of immorality above the others. He uses the one all-encompassing phrase that all of those are equally immoral. In our day today, in our culture, in our society, and throughout history, we get hyper-focused on different aspects of that immorality. But Paul is talking about the importance of every kind of purity and holiness when it comes to intimacy between a man and a woman. And then he even says, once he begins in verse 9, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write you. Which means that if we are filled with brotherly love, if we love each other as siblings in kindness, caring for one another, sacrificing for one another, but we are still unholy and impure in our relationships, that that matters. You can't just overcome impurity when it comes to the matters of intimacy by being really good at brotherly love. Both matter. We must love one another as siblings in Christ, sacrifice for one another, and God calls us to be pure and holy. And then we come down to our verses this morning. And this is one of those times where the Lord says, to us and everyone who reads this, what my parents said to me many times as a child, the most frustrating thing in the world to hear from a parent is, this is on a need-to-know basis, son, and you don't need to know. And I just, I just got so sick of being young and being tiny and being too young to understand. And I didn't need to know. Your mother and I are making big decisions for the family, and you don't need to know about this, so you don't get to know about this. Well, the, the Lord says the same thing. Now, you might be thinking, but in the first verse, he says, we don't want you to be uninformed. That's true. 
Paul doesn't want the Thessalonians to be uninformed. And the things that he says are great things to know about the fact that the Lord is coming a second time. The Lord will return. But I want more information. I want specifics. I want details. Tell me when. Tell me where. You gave me the how. This is great. But there's a lot of other questions that I won't answer, Paul. And all you're telling me is that it's going to happen. And when it does, it's going to look like this. And have you noticed that when Jesus talks about this in the Gospel of Matthew, it's the most vague thing. Like, I'll tell you when it's going to happen. It's when there'll be rumors of war and wars. When in human history has there not been rumors of war and wars? Oh, thanks, Jesus. You really narrowed it down. You you narrowed it. There'll be false prophets. There's literally thousands of examples of false prophets through the Bible. There have always been false prophets. He goes through all of these things and every generation has always said, this is it. Jesus has got to be coming back now. And I know our generation is no different. We have terrible tornadoes just retching their way through our country. We have hundreds of homes that have been destroyed in the midst of a pandemic that every time we think it's gone, it fires back up again. There's so much going on that makes us look around and go, obviously the Lord is coming back. But remember, there was a world war. There were two of them, actually. That's why we have a World War I and a World War II. And you know what everybody said in World War I? This is as bad as it's ever been. More people have died in this war than any war ever since then or before then. Or This is it. This is awful. We just got trenches and we're just murdering one another. And this is God has got to be coming back. Well, he, he, he didn't come back. If he did, we all got missed. Okay? He didn't come back. Then World War II came around. But before that, the stock market crashed. There's no way that the Lord is not coming back because the stock market crashed is over. Well, he, he, he didn't come back then either. World War II rolled around and everybody said, nah, Germany's not going to do it again. Those, that Nazi party, that nah, nah, it's going to be, oh my gosh, they really did. Okay, all right, so here we go again. Round two, just, you know, 30, 40 years later. And In the midst of the throes of World War II, everybody said, this has got to be it. Jesus is coming back. Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed, and then gives us all the information we need. So it is not appropriate for us to sit around days on end and speculate, this is exactly when the Lord's coming back. What we need to know is that the Lord is coming back. And when he comes back, it will look like this. We don't want you to be uninformed about those who have fallen asleep. One of the questions in Thessalonica was they were afraid that people who had already died, which the term fallen asleep is used over and over again in the New Testament for someone who has died. When Jesus speaks of going to heal Jairus' daughter, they say that Jairus' daughter had fallen asleep. And then they say that Jesus resurrected her from the dead. When it says that Stephen died because he was stoned, it says that he fell asleep and and he died from being stoned to death. So when it talks about those who have fallen asleep, this is a very common metaphor in the New Testament for people who have died. And they were worried in Thessalonica that the people who died and Jesus hasn't come back yet have missed the second coming. They're going to miss out on Jesus calling everybody to heaven. What's going to happen to the people who have already died? So Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed. You seemed a little bit confused about the how of how this is all going to take place. But I want you to realize we don't have to grieve when people die as those who have no hope. You see, they were grieving as though those people had missed out 
on being caught up with Jesus. They thought that because they had died, that now they wouldn't be raptured, so to speak. And they were missing out. So they grieved at these funerals. Same way that we kind of exemplified that very first sermon, the trial sermon, February 26th of 2017. You, you may or may not have been here, but we talked about they had professional mourners and wailers. Oh, God, why? Why would you take them from me? You got people that are like trying to dive into the casket. This is so unfair. Ah! You got people walking around in black garments for months on end. And that's exactly how the Thessalonians were grieving, just like everybody else. And Paul says, yes, you grieve. I I don't know what happened in Christian tradition where at some point we decided it's not okay to grieve. We're happy. The Lord's coming back. I don't care that they died. See, I'm happy. It's good. It's okay to grieve when people we love pass away, but we don't lose everything because somebody has died. We don't walk in mourning for decades because someone that we love and cherish is gone because we know with confidence, with certainty, they are with the Lord. And one day, maybe in our lifetime, the Lord will come back and they will be with the Lord. Then their body will be raised up to meet Him in the air and we will all be raptured and taken on to be with Jesus forever. It changes the way that you grieve when you know it's not so long forever. It's, I'll see you later. It doesn't mean you don't hurt. It doesn't mean that every time that person would have called you, it doesn't break your heart because you can't talk to them anymore. And it's okay to be sad about that. But it can't consume us and push us into endless despair like the rest of the world. I've seen people who grieve with no hope. And Paul says, don't do that. Those people have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died, this is the hope. For since we believe that Jesus died, For since we believe that he rose again, that resurrection is essential. We know that Jesus didn't stay dead, so we won't stay dead. It's beautiful. And he says, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. He will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Listen, in Philippians chapter 1, Paul says, it's better that I die because to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he's struggling and he says, it would be better, it would be a gain for me if I were to die and be with Christ. He doesn't talk about dying and there being a gap of time. I know that some people are big proponents of thinking that when you die, you just go to sleep. And the next thing you realize is that the Lord is raising you from the dead. I don't believe that's what scripture teaches us. When we die, our spirit, our soul is immediately with the Lord. If you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection, then what scripture teaches in 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, it would be better to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. When he's talking about in Philippians, he says, I'm struggling because I know it would be better to leave this life and be present with the Lord. Here in 1 Thessalonians, he says that we believe that the Lord through Jesus will bring with him. So explain to me how God is coming down out of the heavens, right? Descending, like it describes in this passage, bringing people with him if they ain't been with him yet. 
If people who die and fall asleep are coming with the Lord, then that means their very soul has been in the presence of God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, our one triune God. And when the Lord returns, He's bringing with Him those who have fallen asleep. And then the dead in Christ shall rise and be reunited with their bodies. I mean, it's... it's, it's something that we like get really meticulous about, but this is the stuff we know for sure. I can't tell you when that's going to happen. There's as many opinions about when this is going to happen as there are people in this room. Everybody gets all up in arms about the when, but the how, we do know that this is a very clear passage. You don't pass go. You don't pay $200. When you pass away, if you pass away in the Lord, you breathe your last breath out here on earth and you breathe your first breath in of air in heaven, in God's presence, in paradise, in the very presence of God's goodness. You are there with him in spirit. And then there will come a day when God raises all those who have died in him and their spirit is reunited and they're given a resurrected body because heaven is not a bunch of spirits floating on clouds. There's an ultimate day that at some point God tells us in his word, he will make a new heavens and a new earth. And the forever part that we talk about, the after the resurrection of the dead, the after there's the glorified bodies, the after is going to look a lot like the Garden of Eden. It's going to look a lot like a new heaven and a new earth. It's not going to be all of us floating around going, bring, bring, ah, ah, bring. This is all we ever see, right? That's not eternity. Eternity is going to look like the Garden of Eden after this happens. I, I can't tell you the when. I don't know the specifics. Because the Bible doesn't give us supreme clarity on those specifics because they're not important. What's important is knowing he's coming back and knowing that if you believe in him, when you and I fall asleep, we have the honor and the privilege and the ability by faith in the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ to be with him face to face. So that when this day happens, whether we've fallen asleep or we're still awake, we're with him. And then we'll be with him for all eternity. That's what Paul is describing. But notice that that's at the end of chapter 4, right? So our holiness and our purity and our brotherly love matter in light of verses 13 through 18. Sometimes we have a tendency to fall in one of two camps. To be so excited about the destination we forget about the journey. And sometimes, instead of being so excited about the destination, we forget about the journey. The other side says, we're so excited about the journey, we don't really care about the destination. Have you ever been on these trips? Listen, it took years for my wife to fix this part of me. There's so many things that God is still fixing through me and sanctifying me through this incredible woman, okay? My wife helps me, and I was such a task person. All right, we're going to Gatlinburg. Let's get to Gatlinburg. How fast can we get to Gatlinburg? No, we're not stopping. We've got to get there. The point is to get to Gatlinburg. Let's go. Let's drive. I don't care about that stop. Who cares about the biggest ball of yarn? It doesn't matter. We've got to get there. Here we go. We're going to the beach. I've got to get to the beach. And then sometimes you go, okay, it's a speed trap. Slow down, slow down, slow down. Go. Here we go. We'll go to the beach. Go to the beach. Sometimes we get so caught up in where we're going that when we get there, it's almost a disappointment, right? I worked so hard to get here, and then you get there, and you're like, I can't settle down. But I'm, I'm, I'm here now. Breathe. I'm here. The stress is over. The trip is over. And see, we see the trip as the stress. 
And, and then my wife wasn't in this camp, but she was in a very healthy, balanced place. But I, I've been with people. Eh, we'll get there when we get there, man. Don't worry. Hey, that looks like a nice place to stop off. Why don't we stop and spend three hours there? How about I strangle you and go by myself, you know? I just, I just feel that that's, uh, that's what's going to have to happen. Well, where are you going? Man, it doesn't matter where we're going. The trip's going to be great, man. Don't worry about it. We'll get somewhere. And wherever we end up, we'll have fun. Look, that, that's not the place to be either. The Lord is coming back. And we, we look to that day with eagerness. That's the destination. But the journey matters. Our holiness, our purity, our brotherly love matter. But we have to find that balance between being so obsessed with the journey and the purity and the brotherly love and all of these things and being so obsessed with the destination that we ignore all of those things. There is a balance to strike, to look forward with eagerness that Jesus is coming back. That's the destination. But I'm going to enjoy and live out my life in fullness of the Holy Spirit now so that I can truly enjoy the destination when that day arrives. I'm not going to be so focused and so pharisaical and so legalistic and so dogmatic that I forget that there is a last verse to, oh, praise the name, right? It's, it's so easy to stop. It's so exciting. The angels roar for Christ the King. Yeah, woo, it's great. He shall return. See, there's, there's a last verse. We look forward to that. Last verse. He's coming. He is coming back. That's a reality. That's not a fairy tale. It's not a made up story that we just say so that we don't grieve as harshly when people die. It's true. It's the most true thing in all of creation. He is coming back. And if we believe in him, it will be a glorious and wonderful day. But let us not be so focused on how we're living and how to be perfect, and how to check every box that we forget He's coming. And let's also not be so focused on His coming that we forget we are called to live in holiness and in godliness. We are called to reflect His image as we are here, to bear His image, and to strive for that holiness. We're not going to be perfect. But man, it is hard when you are striving for holiness not to fall into this camp of, oh... Oh, I see. You messed up, huh? Let me take my ledger and write it down. I will judge you for that later at home with my family because you are a sinner. This legalistic place that we go is so hard to avoid. But even the Thessalonians, later we're going to read, after Paul says this, they just stood around and went, uh, you think of me today? I don't know. I keep looking. You think we ought to go to work? No. Uh, you keep looking. Oh, 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 nope, I didn't, I didn't see anything. Uh, that was the Thessalonians. That's how they lived. Somewhere between those two is, is where we live. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And because there is no condemnation, it gives us the freedom to live for Christ. But not to be so focused on every I being dotted, every T being crossed, every law being followed that we miss. We're living that way expecting this day to come. So this morning, I just got to ask, where do you fall? Are you over here in camp legalism? Are you over here so focused on your holiness and your purity and your brotherly love 
but you've forgotten we're living for that day. You're so distraught by the storms, by the pandemic, by the flu, by whatever, by people passing away that you've forgotten this day is a reality. Are you over here in this camp thinking, man, I don't have to worry about any of it. It doesn't matter what I do because the Lord's coming back one day, so who cares how I live? Or maybe, just maybe, this morning you're here, and if that day were to come right now, you wouldn't be caught up to meet him in the air. He'd return and he'd find you in a state of rejecting his one and only son. The only way, the only truth, and the only life. There's one sin that is unforgivable. And it is to meet the Lord face to face. Still in a state of rejecting him and his authority and his existence. And if you were to meet the Lord today, what camp do you fall into? Listen, if, if you still reject him and you still say, I, I don't believe that he's real, you can change that today. You can change it right now. It'll take the rest of your life to figure it all out, but you can begin to go home to Jesus today. If you're over in this camp and you've been too legalistic, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and you can be forgiven of your legalism. If you're in this camp and you've been so focused on the return of the Lord that you haven't cared how you live, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And you can be forgiven. Where are you this morning? And what camp have you placed your flag in? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your love and for your mercy. We thank you that you will come back. That you have not abandoned us, you have not left us as orphans, you will return and we are excited for that day. God, as, as we prepare and live and strive to follow you, looking towards that day, God, I, I know personally, man, there's so many times I end up being overly legalistic and forget that you're coming. Uh, there's so many times where I get so caught up in the fact that my salvation is secure because I trust in you and you are returning that I, I don't pay very good attention to how I'm living. Lord, would you help us, because we're not able, would you help us to find that balance, to live for you as, as, as ambassadors of your kingdom with our eyes ever on the horizon, waiting to hear that trumpet, waiting to hear the voice of the archangel, waiting to see the clouds part. Father, would you help us to repent and follow you. If anyone this morning, God, is still in a state of rejecting you, rejecting your lordship, rejecting your salvation, I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd change their heart even now as we pray. Holy Spirit, would you move among us as we sing, as we offer a brief time to respond to you? Would you move among us, empower us and embolden us to respond in obedience? We ask all this in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit.